Welcome to We Think, We Talk, sponsored by Select Care Pharmacy, a pharmacy that is non-retail, but that services the smallest of group homes to the largest of skilled nursing facilities with prompt attention and care and world-class customer service. Welcome to the episode of We Talk, We Listen. This is by Andy Garrison. I'm your host. And today we have a great friend uh, of the show and a great friend of mine, um, Jerry Caitlin Pageant. Uh, we have actually worked together for a very long time. And uh, to tell a little bit of the story now, I'm going by memory on this, Jerry Caitlin. So, all right. <laughs> um, no, if I get anything wrong, just tell me. But so, oh, I will. <laughs> uh, Jerry Caitlin, um, she has a master's degree in social work. She went to the University of South Carolina. I know that. And I met Jerry Caitlin years ago when she moved here from Somerville. I was in Charleston. Or Charleston. Charleston. Yeah, right up. In Charleston. Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody had told me, I was the executive director of a uh, assisted living community at the time, and everybody told me that uh, a social worker would never make a great marketer. Um, that always had been the, the case. And I thought differently. I was like, That's, that doesn't sound right. That sounds odd. So anyway... I met Jerry Caitlin, and uh, she came to work with me. And at the time, the community that we were working in needed a lot of changing. Um, yep. And within two years, we actually filled that building, and we were in running every year after that for the best of the best. Is yep. that not true? A lot, a lot of hard work, but we had a lot of fun doing it, helping those folks. What do you think made us be able to have that type change. What do you think we did differently with family members than than maybe some folks had done in the past? Um, I think we were authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we told families what to expect up front. So mm-hmm. there were a lot of less surprises and it was less of a sales spiel. Mm-hmm. Um because we just came up with it. This is who we are. This is what we offer. This is what you to expect, you know, because in, in long-term care, and we were specifically in assisted living with, with um, we had a, also a building that was assisted living with memory care. Um, we we knew that what the families were, how what it took for them just to even make a phone call to us, mm-hmm. um, to even walk through the door to inquire um, about their loved one or for their friend or even for themselves. Um and and I think we met people where they were at instead yes. of selling something. Right. Um, that's and, that's a good point. And then we we followed up with what we said. So right. I think follow through is like we laid it out there what to expect, and then we built the trust because we had wonderful staff that mm-hmm. you cultivated, Andy. I right. mean, you you were the one that cultivated. You were the, the leader of that. Um, that cultivated great staff that then followed through with, with what we were we were um, you know getting them into because um, it's it's tough so that that's what I think was a little bit different for us we weren't the prettiest building no. um, but you know what I always say is that it's not about the brick and mortar mm-hmm. it's, it's about the the people that are there right um, and one, one so, thing I liked that I can always reflect back on even now even when I'm trying to consult with different communities now, regardless if they're a $50 million community or they're just a small trying to make it community, is I try to enforce with them that at that moment uh, of meeting a family for the very first time, you really got to take that family and A, meet them where they're at, just like you said, because you taught me that. And But another really good thing that I feel that we did is 
we introduce them to the entire team. That's right. A to Z. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think you and I knew the importance of, um, say, anybody from the maintenance department all the way to housekeeping, the nurses, everybody was on an equal playing field. Mm-hmm. Everybody contributed to the care of that loved one. And to be honest with you, those those staff members, they genuinely cared about the families because now they knew the families directly, they knew the residents directly, and everybody, you know, did their fair share. That's right. And they were all treated with value. I think that was one thing. They knew that mm-hmm. from, you know, someone that was, you know, washing dishes was just as important as the executive director. And I think, you know, I remember you getting a, a mop one time and helping clean floors. Mm-hmm. I can remember going in and making a bed because, you know, I think, I don't know if I need to say her name or not, but she, um, Maria, yeah, yeah. It was taking care. One of our staff was taking care of um, someone and I was just helping her out. And she goes, wow. You know, and I think that seeing that we would get down and, and we would do help them in any way that we could showed that, you know, we were on equal playing field for service. Well, I'll tell you what. No, this is funny, though. OK, so we, I have to laugh about this. You got to find humor. No, we, we did. No, here, here's humor. <laughs> they were not used to an open door policy. No. <laughs> and we've got it both admit that, A, I have an open door policy yep. and I have a my interview style or my my style with anybody that works with us is not typical. Um, That's right. Fair enough. That's right. Yeah. It's basically when I would talk to somebody, I would let them talk. Mm-hmm. I want to see because they could find their answers. But having that open door policy and at that time, my office – was a reconstructed closet, right? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> and it was actually on a no hall. No one knows. <laughs> no, no one knows, yes. And it was on a hall- <laughs> It was on a hallway that literally was uh, among the residents. Yep. So what made it great for me, I still love this, and I laugh, even if the door happened to be shut, the residents felt completely fine opening the door, coming right in and sitting down and talking with me. So so there never was this chain they felt that they had to climb. No. They felt that they could talk to me just as easily as they could talk to anybody. Absolutely. And uh, I, think, I think our reaction time was incredibly quick, too. I think whatever issue, if sometimes it wasn't even an issue. Sometimes it, they were compliments. But even with the compliment or an issue, we grabbed it and immediately took it to, to where it needed to be. Very much like a small business versus corporation, how it works. You know, it's like, you know, um, you you get things done quick quicker when you don't have all these hoops to jump through and mm-hmm. you have all these strict, strict policies that, you know, might not even be efficient anymore. Right. Um, so I think we kind of, we ran it like um, a mom and pop shop, you know, right. where, you know, we knew our residents, we knew their families mm-hmm. and we could take care of things. And I think I learned a lot, you know, as me growing into more of a leadership role now as, as an executive director, I'm an executive director for a hospice. Um, now, um, you know, I, I just learned that, that sometimes we don't need all those, those strict policies. We just need to talk to people. Right. <laughs> and I think that's an art that we're starting to lose. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if it's generational. I don't know if people are scared to speak, but one thing I learned, there's a specific resident that I'm thinking of that you'll probably know who this is, but this resident was in assisted living. And for the simple fact that honestly, 
I believe he was tired of cooking his own meals. Mm-hmm. He was tired of the day-to-day grind of keeping upkeep of a yard and all these things that went with it. So basically, he moved in to have all of that. He was retired military. Mm-hmm. Um, and he became my best buddy. I mean, and... You were his angel, well, for sure. But I learned so much that just because you're in a so-called, quote, facility, you can learn a lot. The, the residents in there, some people have a misconception, and I did when I was little. You know, you'd ride by a nursing home or something like that, and you automatically assume that everybody in there um, you couldn't have a conversation with. Everybody was sitting over in a corner unable to talk. Right. And I think the joy that I have found is that's the farthest thing from the truth. I have learned so mm-hmm. much just going to the residents themselves and asking them mm-hmm. their opinion. And if you want to correct a community, you get a community board of, you know, remember we had a board of yep. members resident that lived council. there, mm-hmm. the resident council. Mm-hmm. And you correct those issues or concerns that they bring up, the world becomes a happier place for everybody pretty quick. And that's where it's like, that's just a common sense thing that has been lost in a lot of places it is is the fact of, how about let's just talk to the people we serve? Right. You know, it seems, it seems simple, want. but it, it, it it's missed so much. What, what do you think about this? Because I had an interesting question actually on the drive to the studio this morning. This, is, mm-hmm. this was interesting. When you run into a competent resident, you know, that may have some physical needs. Right. And a family member that really wants to overtalk what their mom or dad or loved one needs. You know, this it's 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 a split. Mm-hmm. How do you, especially when you did marketing? I mean, because you had to you had to overcome this all the time. I would imagine. How do you think we take and and understand what the resident wants since they are competent and make it where the family understands that they can still make some choices for themselves and 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 not completely override what mom or dad or loved one wants. I always like to start out that anyone that's inquiring about um, long-term care, um, anyone that was that's in, in long-term care as a resident, I always tell them they're an adult mm-hmm. and they have rights just like any other adult that's walking down the sidewalk. Mm. And I also say, when you come into, you become a resident, you are the boss. Mm -hmm. And so when you give them the confidence that they're, that they're going to have authority over their own life, Mm -hmm. I think that puts in perspective, um, you know, that they're going to have some ownership over, over it, over the Mm -hmm. process, over, over the experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also that they have something to give to Mm -hmm. the community. Mm -hmm. Um, They think that they've kind of, that we're all we're all we all talk about what services we're gonna provide. Mm-hmm. But I always say, and people love that. People have cried in my office before when I say, but also think about what, you know, what you can give back to us and what a blessing you can be to us. Right. And I think just making it more hum, human mm-hmm. um and treating them as adults is what gives them back their 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 sense of ownership over their own life. That's true. You know, you made me think of something and uh, not to stay on the subject too long, but sure. I'll never forget. And I think this is when I really learned exactly about, about what you're speaking of when I had a resident, um, a long time resident at a, at a community. 
come and knock on my door and uh, wanted to have a, she wanted to have a private conversation with me. And uh, she had asked me for a key to the um, door that the washer and dryer was behind. And, you know, I, I think policy at that time was, uh, this was just building policy. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, a policy by, by the uh, state, but at the time, but we did everyone's laundry. Mm-hmm. And I asked her, I said, well, are we not doing your laundry right? That was my first question because I felt that if she wanted a key, there was some concerns there. And I never will forget. I mean, this humbled me so fast and made me realize what I was doing wrong and never knew I was doing it wrong. That's that's the key. And she said, uh, her exact words were, honey, sometimes we have some private garments and things that we want to take care of ourselves. Absolutely. And to this day, I mean, this is years ago, but to this day, I can't not remember her telling me that. And I mean, I give her a key um, just because that was something that empowered her to feel like she had somewhat control back over her life. Some, you know, she was able to get in there and watch privately what she wanted to watch. And I didn't ask any more questions after that. I, sure. I realized that. You respected in, her. Well, mm-hmm. I had to, and she was she was competent. She mm-hmm. she knew what she wanted to watch and what she wanted to do. That's right. And but it took her telling me, and, and she did it in a, such a nice way. I mean, she was not fussing at me or anything. She just wanted to have that conversation because you know she, the conversations she had had previously with with the care team, they knew that it was company policy that we didn't do that. So I remember giving her a key, then calling one of our corporate members at the time mm-hmm. and telling them the same story, and they agreed with me. And we made an addendum to that policy immediately. That's um, right. Because it's just something about, I don't know, I'm a better person now from the things that I've learned from our residents over the years, whether it be on my own life, how to be a better father, uh, a husband, or just a human being in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all make mistakes, and 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 sometimes, you know, a good leader. I've always been taught this: a good leader makes fast decisions and is quick or and slow to remove that mm-hmm. that decision. Right. Versus a bad leader makes slow decisions and they're quick to change their mind. Right. right. Um, but that day, that was an argument that was just so to the point that. I immediately was willing to change that policy. Um, And and that's the thing is that you didn't, you, you, you made a decision and you had in your leadership role, mm -hmm. you were able to have the authority to make that decision. Mm -hmm. You called your your regional director after you made Mm -hmm. the decision. So you were actually given the, the, you were given the authority that you should have. So that was, I think that was uh, an important, important setup, I think, in, in our industry is to, when you put someone in a, in a place of leadership, let them lead. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also think about it, you know, the person felt comfortable coming to you. Yes. And and that's another, a, another thing. You were going to communicate with the person that you were serving and you were listening to what she was needing and adapting to her needs. I think one thing that a lot of people that don't know and a lot of folks that will be listening to this uh, are executive directors mm-hmm. of communities, but people that have never sat in that seat do not realize that it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But the unfortunate point is you don't have anybody to go to yourself. 
it's a lonely place. Absolutely. It's a very lonely world. So sometimes the decisions we make are, are, are on the money, on the mark. Sometimes those decisions are the worst decisions, but we realize it way after, but we just have to make them since we don't have really that resource of, or ladder to go up to help with those decisions. Now, getting off that topic, mm-hmm. because I was telling one of the producers this morning, literally, I, I, I've just heard this, and this has been an ongoing thing that I'm sure you, you are very well aware of, the staffing issues that now communities are going through. Absolutely. It is rough. Where do you think that's coming from? Because, I mean, I understand that, you know, with the pandemic that hit, you know, there are a lot of issues there. And, you know, you hear a lot about, you know, stimulus money and things of that nature. But I believe it goes deeper than that. Um, Do you think that it has anything to do with the way maybe some folks are running their operations or, or the them not giving the gratitude say that we did back in the day or, or do you, what do you, what, what are your thoughts on that? I think, you know, um, and, and I'm asking everybody this, I'm just very sure, curious. Sure. And, and I, I think that, that it, it can be different in different scenarios. So I'm not saying this is all encompassing no, of, no. of a reason on no. um, them. think there's multiple factors. Um, but you know, I think some of these folks have been treated as though they're expendable. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you don't feel that if you feel like you're just filling in a spot and you mm-hmm. can be replaced. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're that, that, you know, what, what type of, um, you know, passion are you going to continue to have if you don't feel that you as the individual, you as the person is valuable, right. um, and that you are an invest invested in. Right. Um, I think that's where, you know, I try and run, um, you know, ran hospice with carry, you know, valuing and and being approachable by every staff person that I have, Mm -hmm. knowing about them, knowing that they have children, knowing about their personal lives, knowing about their different situations that they're going through Mm -hmm. and, and working with them, knowing them as the person, um, not just what they do for Ren hospice, even, even in what they do is quite amazing. Um, but they're valued as, as a, as a person first, rather than just filling that, say, CNA position or filling that nurse position, um, you know, that that's the way I look at it, um, you know, valuing the people, not just for the role that they fill, but for them being just as, as a person. I can remember the hardest thing to do, and this is where this really can get you if you don't value the person, and I call it the bank. You have to deposit more into your staff, then you withdraw. That's right. Okay. Absolutely. And as an executive director, I remember many times a situation coming up, say with another staff member or employee that was supposed to be coming in on another shift. And it's always our responsibility, you know, to have that shift covered. And us walking to a specific employee, you know, I've got a hundred names in my head and asking them if they could cover another shift. Luckily, and I knock on wood on this, um, most of the employees that I've worked with over the time, I believe they had felt that I had deposited more mm-hmm. uh, than I had withdrawn. You'd been there for them, I'd so they wanted to be them. there for you. 
and they really stepped in and took care of that. But I also hear horror stories to this day. Um, you know, just this morning when I was talking with someone that, you know, they won't answer the phone. Um, they'll automatically say no. And it, it just hit me. I said, you know, the bank theory. I said, I believe that the stress, this is my only, this is just a personal opinion. Mm-hmm. It, so don't take, you know, anybody listening, don't say, oh, he's wrong. Cause, and, and don't write me and say, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I think with the pandemic that's hit, the guidelines that were put into place with, you know, the hospital systems, with skilled and uh, assisted living and memory cares, and the stress that was put on the staff from that, I believe some of the leadership was also, you know, incredibly stressed with having to maintain all the, the new regulations and all the new paperwork that was being shot to them yeah, every day. Sure. And somewhere in there they lost that that ability to deposit in their staff. And I don't think necessarily it's their fault. Sure. Uh, sometimes when you get bogged down with 27 hours of paperwork and there's 24 hours in a day, you really the stressors break your break you a little it bit. It breaks your normal stride because right. I can remember a staff member um this is only a, a year or two ago. I had something on my mind and I was walking through a really big community that you and I worked at together mm-hmm. and the staff member stopped me dead in my tracks and said, you didn't say, Hey, and you didn't even realize it. <laughs> no, I was looking, I was looking straight at the ground. I remember mm-hmm. specifically, I was just walking so fast, looking straight at the ground, trying to keep what memory I had of what I needed to do to, right. to, cause I was actually walking back to talk to the nursing department is what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And I don't even remember why now, but it was during the pandemic and uh, it was at, it was at the uh, beginning of the pandemic. So my brain was everywhere. Yeah. Very stressful um, time. But so I stopped and I actually apologized. I said, you know what? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm so very sorry. Um, you know, I just had my head to the ground and I didn't realize it. So it, I'm glad that happened at the beginning because, yes, unfortunately, I still had to back away and didn't get to speak as much as I normally would. Mm-hmm. But I still try to make a point to have those monthly meetings. Right. Even during the pandemic, if we had to do it on the telephone. Mm-hmm. or something, and to let them know I am proud, and, and I thank you. Um, one thing happened years and years ago, I can remember this, I had an employee that was super bitter at me. This person hated my guts. I'm telling you, if if their eyes were a knife, the way they looked at me would have cut through me 7,000 times, and you've heard me tell this story. Oh, goodness. Um, and I just couldn't quite get, this is when I had became, this was so long ago, I was director of nursing for somewhere. Mm-hmm. And within my first couple of weeks, I mean, I really, really was thinking this job over, like, I'm going to have to quit because this one employee hates me that bad. Right. And I could not understand why. And so finally, after just being tortured, what I felt like, um, not emotionally tortured, I mean, she never came directly and said anything that was so harsh, but the cold shoulder that I was getting and no help whatsoever that I had to ask specifically for what I wanted or it wasn't going to happen, right? Right. I finally brought this staff member into my office and sat down and just asked the honest question, what's going on? What have I done to you right. to make you hate me so much? And the response was just 
I'm I'm glad I'm glad she gave me a response that was real. She said, "You know how long I've been here?" She said, "I've been here a long time. I know how to do a lot of this." Mm-hmm. And here you are making the schedule, trying to change things, and not once have you came to me and asked me for maybe I've already done that. Maybe wow. I have an idea. Wow. Maybe there's something I can do to help you. And she started crying. Oh, well, goodness. So right then, I, that was the first time I was in a position to make a decision immediately. And I said, well, you know what? I'm going to need a lead. Someone that knows how to do all that because I'm going to need your help. And I remember I took and changed the badge, the color of the badge, and got her a new badge mm-hmm. uh, with a, just a different color. And everybody knew that different color meant that she was a lead a lead uh, medication technician. And I think I was able to give her uh, a little raise with it. Mm -hmm. And do you know that particular employee to this day, I still speak with occasionally, she worked harder and ran that building. And when people called out, she found people to replace the shift. Mm -hmm. And I never almost received a phone call with anything on the clinical side because I took time to get her, I asked her what was wrong. And then from then on, I learned that the best way for me to run anything is to get the opinions of the people that have already been there. Now, is every opinion right? No. We know that. Sure. Uh, Do you have to make some hard decisions when you come in as an executive director? Yeah. You really do. And Do you make people mad? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But... There's a lot of people with a lot of good advice. Absolutely. And that's um, what I had to do as in, as when I came for, into Wren Hospice um, as, an, as a new executive director, and I had never worked there before. I, I told, told my staff, I said, like, I rely on y'all. Right. You know, I need you mm-hmm. to help me do my best job. Mm-hmm. And so I do a whole lot of just asking them questions mm-hmm. because – Going and think something blind and assuming things will get you nowhere. No. You've really got to learn the people that you work with, value the people that you work with, um, recognize them for for all their, their hard work, right? Um, and then learn from them. And then once you, because knowledge is power, and when you want to hear their opinion, they feel valued, and then you can make better decisions and be a better leader for them. What do you think? And, and you're probably the best person to ask this question to in a general sense. Let's say there's some, uh, you know, you have a family out there on the cusp of trying to make a decision because they have an aging family member. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to navigate the world of um, where do we put mom? What do we do? Um, you know, how sick is mom? Trying to, trying to just look at everything because they realize that what they've been doing for a while at home, they're becoming exhausted. Yes. And there's not enough family to to cover the needs of mom, dad, or loved one. What advice would you give them to start? Just h- how to start looking? What what advice would you say, okay, this is step one. This is the most critical thing you can do. I think, well, and, and I'll just kind of tell you the, the approach. And, and I tell, this is how I, uh, me working, I worked in admissions and marketing mm-hmm. with you and, and, yeah. and, and in other roles um, with long-term care. And then also um, I tell my um, community liaisons that do marketing and Mm -hmm. help with admissions into hospice, I tell them, you know, 
almost to take that social work approach mm-hmm. and almost um, an education approach. So mm-hmm. be that resource for that mm-hmm. family. They might not need whatever you're working with. Mm-hmm. They might not. I, mean, I might be in assisted living. You might be in skilled nursing. You might work for a sitter service. Um, you might work, my community liaisons do with hospice. Um, but come at it as though you're that family's resource. They're trying to navigate a whole new world that they never knew, really expected to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, um, society has some things um, in place that put pressures on us as though we have to do it alone. Mm-hmm. And when they know they don't have to do it alone mm-hmm. and that there's resources, mm-hmm. um, that goes pretty far. And then when they do need your service, it might not be right then. They'll remember what you did to provide them with that resource. Absolutely. And they'll remember you. One reason I decided that I believe this podcast was so important is one thing that that I I guess I took for granted because of all the years being in long-term care and healthcare in general is the average person in this world does not have a guidebook just like there's really not a guidebook, say, when someone's born. You know, you have these certain books out there, I, I think, what, Dr. Spock and all that. Uh, probably, that's probably not even the right name of that book. I don't remember. I but, haven't had children yet, so I don't know. Well, I, I know. <laughs> but, 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 you know, everybody gives you advice. But there's really, especially with aging, there's not really a guide manual specifically how to do it because every single person is different. You know, every person is need. And I think one good thing you did with every client, and I say that whether they literally were in our communities or not, is once we listened, once we evaluated their need, we were not scared to pick up the telephone and call another community that would fit their needs better. Absolutely. I believe that people miss that mark professionally because we get tied up wanting a client so bad that we miss listening to their exact needs. And not every community has, not every community is set up the same. It's yeah. it's like, it's like a bank. You know, we all bank at, at different banks for, for many different reasons. That's right. The bank I bank with is because I love the, the uh, customer service I receive. Um, some people bank at different banks because of they have loans there. Their interest rates are right. Um, just whatever the reason may be. Some people bank because that's where their family has always banked. Yep. Finding the right fit for the right the right time. I believe with the resident and their need, and especially from a social work approach, this is what I love because I learned a lot. I, I did. I learned a lot about the approach of questions, watching uh, you from a social work aspect asked these questions because they weren't a yes or no question. They, you asked the question where you, they're open-ended, I guess you would say right. you, you made them have to talk. And the more the family talked, the more information became on the table. And as the information started piling up, they felt more comfortable and you'd, they, you'd really hear things that you did not expect to hear. That's right. And knowing that we would have to even lose that client, because we were unable, whether it be by regulation or just the community itself wasn't set up for their needs. I think within the community itself, we made a good impression because we did not mind calling another community. And those communities worked so well with us that they, in turn, would do the same thing. Right. right. Um, I personally think that's missing now. 
Yeah, people um, aren't serving the actual community that they their their facility is in or their service right. is in. Right, you got to think about big picture instead of just get checking off the list for what your job is. It's right. it's bigger than that. It's it's you know being doing right by that person, and then they'll remember you. They might not need you right now for what you are offering, mm-hmm. but they might have. Some, their neighbor that needs that happened to us tons of times, and mm-hmm. I learned I learned all I mean all this learned from you. I learned that you're just talking with people um, mm-hmm. is is where you, you get a lot of information just by having conversations and and being approachable. And um, when when you just are honest and mm-hmm. with 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 the resources and and educate the mm-hmm. best you can on what you know, mm-hmm. they might not need you now, but they sure will. Um, let someone else know if they when someone else needs needs that type of service. I always I always tried to in my head re, you know kind of remember something like to you know I would I would want the client even if even if we didn't service them you know we did not they did not move in their community I always felt uh, good by telling the client or their families you know call me for anything. Because you put your cell phone on the card for a reason. I for remember, a reason, I remember yeah, the, you the, said that the cell phone card is on there for a reason. Two hundred plus. I mean, so many times I've heard, "Call me." My cell phone is on the card for a reason, and you meant it. And that's where you also followed through with it. Because when they did do that, make that phone call, yes. it wasn't a, uh, um, you know, a broken promise. No, no. Um, you answered the phone. You answered the phone, and you helped, and you helped solve that. And and I can remember, you know, you coming in so tired. Yeah. You know, because you had taken a. T- I'll call it two o'clock in the morning and had to come up to the community mm-hmm. and handle it. Yeah. Um, but it went so far with those people that you served because even though you had the title of mm-hmm. the, you know, executive director, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the guy in charge, um, I was you, just, a, you I was just a caregiver. You, yep. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, I mean, that's really what, what I was. And, but you know, it, it's always good. You know, I don't care if you call me about something related, not, or unrelated to healthcare, as long as you're calling me. Well, like um, your watches, you had a hobby. You had yeah, the hobby with yeah. watches, and how many families? Oh Lord, <laughs> loved that, calling you. Right that that turned into a whole nother. You know that that could have been a sideshow, right there. <laughs> yeah, right. But but it, it it at least they felt comfortable calling, mm-hmm. and in turn you would have a, they they would recommend you even though because you're so honest when when you're honest within your community. And and I mean this because I'll follow into another thing that I think people miss. But as an executive director, I, I was always transparent mm-hmm. with the staff. So many executive directors hide things like budgets or um, any regulatory reviews that were done. They hide certain things because they don't they don't feel like they need to share them with the entire staff. Where I always had it publicly. Not publicly, but I had it completely transparent for everyone that worked around me to know where we're at. Well, then they could trust that their their situation, right? And and that built trust with the employees, and that also made them feel as though they had um, they had knowledge about their own situation. That mm-hmm. that so I think that that was important. Um, they felt that they 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 were valued enough to be. Um, you know, let in on what what things might be coming um, coming to the to the community. Right, right. Another thing I was thinking of, and I was thinking of this last night, and I feel that we always did this very well. I've tried to do it very well, but I think a lot of people are missing the mark on this. Any healthcare community 
has a lot of outside healthcare resources that come in. Mm-hmm. It could be hospice. hospice right. It could be physical therapy. It could be wound care nurses. It, there's a almost an army of folks coming in and out of any facility daily. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I don't think that the training to the facility staff is given on how we need to interact with those folks. That's right how we need to treat those folks. And I always try to because I always knew that those folks go to more communities than just one. And a lot of time, those folks are very, very tight with the family members, especially new families that mm-hmm. we're not that tight with. That's right. And they can pick up on the community's vibes very quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, and you want your staff to act as professional around them as they would around a family member. Right. And I've had so many of the outside sources over the years call me and say, can you, Andy, you're not going to believe what so-and-so told me. And I would just die right there because mm-hmm. it was like, wow, they said that to them. What are they saying? You know, right. what information is getting there? So I think it's just so important that that when you when you train, uh, which everybody should be training within their healthcare organization right. all the time. All the time. I mean, I don't think I don't think you could. I mean, I know we can't, but if we could train every day, it would still not be enough. Right. Uh, but I think one of the most important trainings that need to 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 absolutely be done, and I think the, one of the first that need to be done, is about outside um, healthcare coming in. And how we treat them and how we act upon them and how we use them as a resource. Well, and I think that's kind of, I um, mean, me and you've talked about this a number of times, yeah. is, is that in, in our healthcare industry, um, which, you know, senior services, long-term care, you know, hospice, home health, partnerships are so important. They are. Incredibly. You know, you know your staff will know who you're partnering with mm-hmm. um, and they'll know, they'll get to know that that staff, whether it be home health, hospice, you know, um, so I think, you know, as, as leaders, I, I think c- getting your staff to come together and partnering with different agencies mm-hmm. and putting it on the table that we, we were partnering with mm-hmm. them um, and them getting to know one another, I think is just so beneficial to the people that we serve with that. We're working as a united team with that patient or with mm-hmm. that resident um, and their families, and that just is creates such good practices. Um, well, I remember, um, and you'll know this person too. A lot, of, a lot of the people in my memories you'll know, but I remember our staff. We we ha- we had hired um, as required a pest control company, and you know, by regulation, they have to come out you know so often, regardless you know whether you have anything or not to right. keep them away. That's the idea of having them come out so often. Sure. Well, the staff was trained so well on any outside person coming in that we ended up taking uh, or he he the pest control guy that would come out and services. I think was so respected by our staff mm-hmm. that we ended up taking his grandmother, him coming to us and saying, you know, I want her to live here. That's right. And there is no bigger compliment than you can get when you have an outside vendor that services hundreds of communities 
but he chooses you just because of the way he's treated and acknowledged by the staff, not even us, while he's doing his job at our community. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had many leads come that way that were just instant because of how well the staff, um, the Curtis, they were courteous, mm-hmm. they were kind, they were polite. If he needed something moved so he could spray properly, there was never a delay. People he could always find. And just by them knowing how to, or trained, I mean, some would automatically be kind and polite, but some did not. I guess they didn't see an outside person as another healthcare professional or felt they felt that they could get loose with them, mm-hmm. you know, in conversation. Mm-hmm. But I love that. Well, anytime we'd have anytime we'd have something like that, that would be the ultimate compliment of what we were doing. Well, and also, you know, and this is a huge compliment to you um, on the kind of the on the other side of things. You know, yes, you know that our staff absolutely, but it was the fact that sometimes you you would get people that you are now at a different community, mm-hmm. and they might have been a vendor of ours at a at your previous community that you right. served, but you're now in a new community. But they would remember you and mm-hmm. would trust. That and would come to you because they mm-hmm. trusted that your staff, you were going to have a good staff because mm-hmm. of your great leadership. Right. Um, and so we'd had a lot of folks too that would would follow either you or I um, or us as a team um, because they n- knew that to expect that it would we would have good staff. Well, I'm, and I'll tell you about the great leadership part. This is the, I had to give credit to uh, Andy Andrews. Now, you mm-hmm. may have heard me talk about yeah, this, but, but for those that don't know, he's an author. He's, yes. a, he's a book author. So you definitely need to check Andy Andrews out. Every book. Doesn't matter. All of it is great. I remember you being impressed that I that I had read that book. Yes, you, you I, was said impre- it in- I, I was impressed. I, I, I brought that. This was this was, was years like, ago. I know that one. But, but I, brought, I brought this particular book up in a meeting, and Jerry Caitlin was like, I've read that book. And one thing you won't know about Jerry Caitlin is Jerry Caitlin is a geek like me on books. We always like listen to books on and tape history, of history, yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, of weird things like that. But but Andy Andrews had made a comment in one of his books, and I think it was the 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 seven decisions. So I'm pretty sure it was the seven decisions. It is. That, it, that yep, book, that was yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Is that that during his life he created a board of directors, mm-hmm. and that board of directors usually consisted of about 10 people. But the cool part about it is they were in his mind. The board of directors that he had did not know they were on his board of directors. So when a situation would come upon you as a leader, being that we don't really have anybody to go to, you created your board of directors. So whatever situation was in that particular person's wheelhouse that you had in your mind, Mm -hmm. you would call them. That's right. And you would bounce it off of them. And, you know, they wouldn't realize really what you were doing. Me learning that from him a long time ago at an early age or reading that book, that always stuck with me. So I, I, I contribute a lot of the successes that I've had. I mean, I've had failures, which also come with it. You know, the business of learning, that's a part of it. But of making sure anything that I do, I establish, whether it be for my personal life whether it be for my professional life, I have always that board of directors in my head. Now, I have a question. I yes. have to just stop you there. Okay. So I want to see if I've, um, for y'all that are listening, I'm just going to put them on the spot. Okay. Did I ever get on the board of the directors? You were on the board. 
Yes, yes. That, that is that is why you're the first guest on this podcast. Oh my gosh, y'all! Now, now my day is made. My whole week well, is made. But let me tell you why. Let, let me tell you why. And you earned the spot. That that my personal board of directors in my head. That's a coveted board. Okay, and you probably if you wanted to just guess a few of them, you would know who mm-hmm. some of them are. Yeah. Um. But obviously. Even though you're an executive director, um, a federally and state licensed, and you're over uh, Ren Hospice, you're their executive director, you still are a social worker at heart. That's right. And I was always impressed it, it, of the ability to ask questions that I would not necessarily have thought of or a way to find, matter of fact, I mean, I even have a note in front of me that kind of, you know, you weren't scared to ask about what's the financial situation. Mm-hmm. Try to help them with that. They, I mean, you even came into situations where we could not help because of the financial situation, but it was still your client until you had them placed. Right. right. Like, so even now to this day, when I run across a situation, even though, you know, obviously I do something totally different now. I get to help a lot of people um, with advice. Right. But something pops up that's in the wheelhouse of, and honestly, I'll know it's in the wheelhouse because my brain will go automatically, what would Jerry Caitlin do? Or what would Jerry Caitlin ask? Because sometimes you want to answer or you need to answer to a question it's just you need to approach the question in a certain way. Right. Because you certainly don't ever want to embarrass someone. You don't want to take dignity away from anybody. Um, but you still need to know the answer to that question. Right. And me as a nurse or me as an administrator, I necessarily wasn't trained on some of the social aspects of how to get to that question because you know me. My brain works differently. Sometimes I, I will just ask a question point blank and people will just be like, oh my gosh, he literally just asked that. Like so blunt. Mm-hmm. And it's not on purpose. It's just, I'm curious. Like sure. I'm bad about interrupting because all of a sudden I got to stop and ask a question right there. And it's sort of brutal. So there are times that I have to have a white glove approach to a question. And I've called you up, and you may not even have realized it, but I right. brought it up in a conversation. And you know, would, you and I would just, you know, we chat a lot. Yeah. And and, it, and I may just throw it out there for you, and and hear your reply on it, and it gives me the answer. Well, and it's the op- it's the same thing. I mean, you you've been you know you've been on my board of directors. I mean, you you helped train me and lead me in um, many many ways, and have helped me through a lot of difficult situations in my life. And um, I, I I think it's the you know, you, you help one another. And so, I mean, like you said, sometimes you would just outright say something Mm -hmm. and and sometimes that was what needed. You know, I learned that too. I've, you know, I've called you up and sometimes you'll just bluntly ask and get straight to the point. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, maybe I should have just asked that, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, I think it works back and forth. You have to bounce it because it's, um, we all come at different approaches in different, you know, Teamwork, you know, we've always said that teamwork, you know, because you know, there's been many times I've called you to my office and you've called me to your office mm-hmm. with with a family of mm-hmm. us trying to help them and get somewhere. 
and each family is different. So sometimes the approach is different on each one. Oh yeah. I would know. I would know, right? Like usually within five minutes of someone talking, I'd be like, okay, I need to go. And Andy, Andy's going to be able to talk to, to this person. Right, right. Um, Andy can, Andy can, can, can get to kind of the root of. Yeah. Of, drill down yeah. and find out real quick where right. we're at. Right. But, but that I, I couldn't. And so I would know and be like, okay, all right, let's go meet Mr. Garrison. Um, All right, we're going to break here due to time constraints, but stay tuned for part two of the next podcast and we'll continue the conversation. Thank you for listening to We Think, We Talk. All information discussed on this show is for entertainment purposes only. Please contact your medical or healthcare professional for more medical advice.